Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. And, and it actually makes you wonder about the sign-off process to the DMDs. Are they actually going to the directors as a, mm. as a short-form PDS would, or are they just being you know, done as a marketing document? Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slesher. I'm the editor at the GRC Institute. And today we have with us our CEO, Naomi Burley, and our back again, our regulatory expert, Carol Ferguson. Hi, Carol. Welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Um, we're going to be having a bit of a chat about the design and distribution obligations in the context of Perpetual and American Express. Um, so I guess, Carol, take it away. What? Why are these cases so significant? Well, I think the very first thing is that um, there's, there was up until these ones, and, and there has been a recent case, of course, the Responsible Entities case, a view yeah. that ASIC was going to give people time and they were going to be lenient and, you know, they were going to work with, with industry, etc. I don't know where that view came from because ASIC certainly wasn't saying that. And and so um, ASIC has pretty much put its foot on on anybody who says, well, we're not going to take it seriously by taking very serious action against some of the biggest players in the market. Um, the earlier case of responsible entity, well, you know, yeah, but this one, these two, I think, are set, set, setting a new focus on the DDO obligations. And this is at a time when, of course, entities have got a number of other things that they're grappling with. And, and so, you know, having um, both the legal compliance and marketing people really focusing on what DDO means and what a TMD means is going to be a real step forward. Um, I, I suppose everybody knows the facts, but I'm just going to l- quickly run through the facts of, of Perpetual and noting that um, when, when it was released in November, um, ASIC has said that they they had given Perpetual an opportunity to um, remediate the the work, but they haven't yet said whether they're going to take um, actual action against them in respect of the the failures. And I would not be surprised to see that there would be some kind of regulatory action after the fact. I mean, yes, the the funds can be reissued once the the TMDs have been um, corrected, but I am certain that there may be something a little firmer coming in the future. But basically, it was the two funds, the Pure Microcap and Geared Australian Share Fund, had TMDs done for them. Um, And both funds had a significant level of risk, and so therefore were funds that needed to have a TMD, which indicated that it was not necessarily suitable for every retail investor. Sadly, um, the TMDs that were done with them for them said, said interestingly that um, they in, that they were suitable for investors with a capital preservation investment objective, uh, not um, they were intending to use the product as a core component of their in, and or a satellite component of their investment portfolios. We can't have both. But this is the big thing with a potentially low, medium or high risk and return profile. Well, it's not possible for a fund to have three three types of profiles, low, medium or high risk. And, and this is the thing that's most extraordinary. It's almost like 
it was released without actually going through a proper due diligence process because you can't look at the TMD and say, well, how is it possible that you can have a low, medium and high risk profile for, for funds which have got high risk profiles? Um, and nor can you have for a TMD a generic um, type of, of exposure. So if it's low risk, say it's low risk, don't say it's low, medium or high risk, it's low risk. Mm. If it's medium risk, say it's medium risk. But certainly if it's high risk, do not say it's low, medium or high risk. And and so this is a very interesting um, approach to how ASIC is going to be proceeding for the future. Um, the orders were issued on the 25th of, of November and they're valid for 21 days unless revoked earlier. I haven't seen and um, yet that they have been revoked. I am certain that that um, Perpetual took instant action to um, remediate the errors, but but the stop order for the um, the original stop order in respect of the te of that particular offering stood, and and even if revoked, as I said, that it does mean that there is a really strong chance of regulatory action. And I think there's a big lesson here, isn't there, for the rest of the market because ASIC has been saying for a while that they were finding the quality of the TMDs really poor and that they didn't believe enough thought had gone into them. And I think it, I think this is symptomatic of possibly what they're seeing across the board, that the risk assessment doesn't seem to have been, um, you know, genuine and, and people might have been trying to hedge bets. And I don't think that it was for lack of guidance, in my opinion. You know who the product's designed for. I think you have a good idea. And if you don't, then... Um, you know, you, I'd be very surprised if that was the case. Well, I, I find the thing I find really interesting about it in, in the old days when you did a fund description for a master fund as, a, as an example with a standalone um, short form PDS for it, there is no way that you'd have a high risk fund and not say in it, this is a high risk fund. Mm. Um, primarily because the exposure risk for the entity was just so high. And so essentially what they, it, it strikes me that the focus on TMDs has not necessarily been as strong as it should be. I, I had the benefit of talking with a, um, the marketing head of marketing for a large, another large player recently and, and he, she um, expressed the view that um, there was this astounded them because they had taken a lot of care in, in ensuring that their TMDs matched up with the fund descriptions. So how it is that this has got through, as I said, can only seem to me be as a result of a failure of the due diligence process. And, and it is further astounds me that the directors of the entity didn't actually have a look at it closely. And, and it actually makes you wonder about the sign-off process for the TMDs. Are they actually going to the directors? As a, as a short form PDS would, or are they just being, you know, done as a marketing document and therefore not being given the, the scrutiny that one would yeah. expect? Yeah. Um, and this isn't outside their skill set to have a review of that and understand whether the product is high or low risk. That's, that's right in their wheelhouse as directors. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that's, that's quite astounding to me is that you could have a product which has low, medium and high risk. I mean, you know, that, that Maybe just, someone just forgot to tick the box. Well, well that's what it, it looks like to me, an error um, rather than anything else. But, you know, an error of such a degree 
by such a well-known entity is quite extraordinary. I mean, we all know Perpetual's got a lot of issues at the moment with takeover options and, and so forth. But, you know, the the main business of Perpetual is about issuing funds in a in a um, an appropriate and well-managed um, way. And so this type of an action against this type of an entity is unusual for ASIC and, and demonstrates very clearly that they are going to take... DDOs and the TMDs very very seriously. They, you know, yeah. they, they've been saying that from day one, and that's certainly that back we've been getting from people we've been speaking to at ASIC. They were having a look across them, and um, yeah, they were very disappointed with what they'd seen. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's a it's a real shame, and I think it's a, a lesson for our members particularly. Go back and have a look at the TMDs yourself. Yeah. If they haven't come through compliance, make it a, a job for compliance to have another look at them because it may be that you yourselves will be a little surprised by some of the statements that are in there. And if they're mm. not coming through compliance, make certain that they are. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it's an opportunity to jump on to have make sure yeah. it's coming through you because, yeah. in all honesty, you can't complain about red tape and the, and the regulators getting prescriptive if right off the bat something that is is right in your area of very similar to activities you've been doing before. You're going to hand over pieces of work that aren't really complete. Yeah. Um, we will end up with prescriptive legislation. That's what we're going to end up with if we're not careful. Yeah, and, and so this is a real opportunity for industry as a whole and our members in particular to really step up and say, okay, ASIC has been blunt. I mean, at the recent ASIC forum, they were particularly blunt about DDOs and the obligations that were necessary under them. I mean, you could not have been more blunt if you tried. Um, and so people sitting in that extremely packed room, and to, if they didn't take away the the understanding as to what ASIC wanted, well, then I don't know what they were doing because ASIC was as blunt as they could be about what their expectations were. And and so for our members, it's a real opportunity for you to really make a difference to your organisation and to save it from this type of action. Because ASIC, I think, in this case, has been relatively benign in the sense that they've allowed an um, interim stock order and haven't yes, haven't said categorically that they're going to to take you know strong action against people. But look, when you've got um, the types of fines that are coming from, from ASIC at the moment, you know, um, Comsec and AussieX with a $27.1 million penalty, um, we've got a, a regulator that, you know, wants to, to um, increase its coffers. It will be doing so, and, and the way to do it is to get it from industry. I mean, this was the experience in, in the UK, and certainly, you know, when you've got a well-funded um, regulator, then the chances of having actions taken in the future of this kind of nature is just going to continue. Okay, well, let's jump on to American Express and their situation with those two credit cards. So what happened there and, and well, what lessons can we learn from that one? Well, the American Express card, this is the David Jones American Express card, and I don't know if anybody else has gone shopping in David Jones and a, extremely well-dressed and charming person comes up to you and says, have you got a David Jones American Express card, right? And then before you can say yes or no, they launch into a sales process. for for the, And it turns out, because I, I must admit, the first time it happened to me, 
I thought it was a loyalty card and it turned out, of course, it was a credit card. And that's the issue here is that Amex was, um, this was about two components. The first was that ASIC alleged that the TMDs issued by ASIC didn't limit distribution to people looking to make purchases on credit with a card that earned points and other benefits. So it was about the issue of was this actually a credit card? And to all intents and purposes, um, Amex hid um, the fact that it was actually a credit card. So ASIC alleged that um, Amex was aware that the cancellation rates for consumers who applied for the credit cards in David Jones stores were high and significantly higher than cancellation rates for credit cards applied online and that Amex knew that its consumers were confused about whether they had applied for a loyalty card or a credit card and that this was a circumstance that indicated that the TMDs were not appropriate and required Amex to review them and stop issuing the credit card. So, and, and ASIC claimed that despite that, they continued to, to issue the credit card until 5th of July um, 2022, which is when um, ASIC commenced discussions with Amex. So you've got a situation where somebody's in a store, somebody comes up to them and says, can I talk to you about the David Jones, um, Ameri um, about a card, because mm. they don't tell you that it's an Amex card. And then people fill out the documentation, get it, and then very, after receiving a, an Amex card in the mail, they go, hang on a minute, didn't want that. And, and a very large proportion of them sent them back or cancelled the card. And that was a very strong indication to Amex that the process of sales was wrong, but that the TMDs that were done were actually completely inadequate. So ASIC has now commenced its first civil penalty case yeah. for the alleged breaches of the DDO obligations. And taking it up against Amex is like, you know, they're really indicating that they're serious. They're not taking it against some benign individual that's just going to go, what, what for? They are expecting a fight and they're prepared to invest to ensure that that, that fight is, is successful. So the deputy chair has um, Sarah Court, who's new chair, and and we're yet to hear a lot from her. But she's taken this one up as her her um, personal um, vendetta. Has said the DDO obligations embed a consumer centric approach for issuers and distributors of financial products, and product providers must monitor and review whether consumers are receiving the product's consistence with their needs and cannot bring a set-and-forget mindset to product governance. So that the key thing is that part of the DDO obligations is not just to do a TMD, but to actually make certain that the product actually meets up with what the TMD says it's going to do. So say, for instance, with the earlier perpetual one, if there had been a change in the risk profile of that particular those particular funds, then um, perpetual needed to go back and change the TMDs. In this mm. case, um, Amex were aware that there were problems with the marketing of the product. They did nothing to change that marketing process. And moreover, they continued to offer knowing that it wasn't working. And and therein lies the problem. And, and certainly when you've got a, a complete um, failure to take into account those particular issues, then 
you know, ASIC's going to come after you with a big stick. Yeah, and I think it's in, inherent. I think that might be the thing that some entities are forgetting as well, is that the TMD and the DDO work came in, required ongoing governance of the product, and it specifically said you were to review customer feedback and client complaints and feed that into adjustments to it and adjustments to the way you promoted it. It was very, very clear on that point. Um, and I think that's actually the really interesting piece of work uh, that I think a lot of people might, a lot of entities might have thought we got the, we got it done. We got someone assigned to look after this thing. We've, we've assigned the, the control and the risk. We're, we're good to go. Yeah. And, and I thought it is, it's again interesting because this is coming out of a regime where entities were used to issuing supplementary PDSs when, you know, changes occurred in relation to funds and did so all of the time. I mean, if you had a large entity and it had just a clean PDS for the for the for the time frame of the PDS, that would be an astounding thing, because mm. every fund had changes um, from time to, to time, and all of those were reflected in the multiple supplementary PDSs that you know were within a particular fund. And in fact, many of the the operatives would roll over um, a PDS during the the operative time because of the number of changes that were happening so this is these are people who are used to reviewing um, the process of the how the fund was working um, as an example um, used to seeing you know was were things working out correctly was the marketing of it correctly etc and yet didn't think that it was important enough to to change the tmd and so, you know, the ASIC approach on this one is is onerous. I mean, they haven't just issued a stop order, and ASIC says they've issued 20 stop orders to date, which is a lot, um, but obviously a very small ones that have basically sort of come under the radar. But to take on for, for um, both um, declarations of pecuniary penalties, Amex, I think, is a very big deal indeed. So yeah. why do you think it's... a it's becoming a bit of a challenge to have that ongoing product governance side of things. Um, why did this seem to be a, the set of forget attitude, if I can use the deputy chair's um, term? Look, I, I guess that the problem is, is that most of the entities uh, have a significant amount of work that they're doing um, in other regulatory work that they're doing, and particularly in the sales processes and so forth. So, you know, you've got the same people who are doing, you know, talking with, with their advisors and salespeople and trying to get things on that front working properly are the same people who also produce the marketing documents. And and so you've got, you know, a um, an inadequate amount of people dealing with it. And I know that ASIC's view is just hire more people, but A, a lot of those people aren't in the market because a lot of people left and haven't come back. And B, you know, the cost of recruiting those people is still extremely high. And and the cost for many of these entities of running, um, you know, um, enti- um, an entity where they've got a vacant office and people working from home is still a very high expense for these entities. So you've got issues about the the profitability of many of the fund managers is under stress. And I, I would see that the next, you know, 2023 is going to see a lot, a lot more mergers, 
because of that, because people have just got the pressure on them. And the pressure is, you know, there aren't enough compliance people. And mm. we are regularly, as a, as a, the Institute is told all the time of the fact that they're just, you know, trying to get good compliance people, but they want to get good compliance people and pay them what they paid them five years ago. Mm. Um, certainly that isn't appropriate, you know, yeah. and I think that shows a tremendous arrogance on behalf of a lot of the fund managers that they can think that they can get the people who keep them honest and out of jail for free. Um, and so I think that there has to be a process where the, uh, there is a greater um, um, process of ensuring that these documents are reviewed, that once the TMD is out there, that it is regularly reviewed, that, you know, in the first month of operation it's reviewed, then the first quarter, the first six months, etc. So that in the first year that it may be reviewed three or four times just mm. to make certain that it actually is doing what it should do. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right, Carol. I think there's a talent pool um, missing. Uh, they're not being recruited at the right level. So this isn't a junior level activity to undertake. It's an entire framework set up to also coordinate all of the data sources you have. So if the customer complaints are coming in, they need to be coming in you know, coded specific to that product even, that would make life easier, come straight to compliance instead of sitting over wherever they sit over um, and are dealt with separately. So it's setting up a whole framework that deals with every single TMD individually. And then, of course, you'd go across all the ones and you'd prioritise over their risk rating. But again, that takes experience to go, right, these were all high-risk high ratings, so we review them more frequently. The low-risk rating ones, we probably can get by doing six-monthly review in the first year and then go on a cycle. Then you add that work if you've got to make changes and get another sign-off to the work of your audit and um, compliance committee and your and your board, and there's going to be pushback. I guarantee you. The problem also is that the TMD is kind of looked at in isolation from else. It's like, oh, well, that's the TMD, whereas, in fact, it has to be part of the suite of documents that are in relation to the offering. So if you're doing a credit offering, then the TMD is a critical component of the credit offering. Um, If you're doing advertising material, then the advertising material has to be reviewed in the light of the TMD, etc., etc. So it is actually the base document mm. from which everything should be built and then referred to all of the time. And I think it's a little bit like people enter into contracts with large entities, um, you know, computer entities and so forth. They spend yeah. negotiating that in, that contract and then put it in the bottom drawer. And That's it's, right. You get you get your pro. It's like doing a project. You get your project scope, and then somehow the project dies before the end. Yeah, <laughs> it happens, yeah. or it changes so much. But exactly. I thought I thought the TMD was a, a really nicely designed regulatory tool for to use as a foundation for exactly this because it's that step up from a PDF because you had your customer in mind, which is what yeah. we're all after, and you had your risk ratings done. So all you needed to do was monitor against that. Like it's. It's a scaffolding set up yeah. for you. And I totally agree. And I think that the sad thing is it has been reviewed as an impediment to business. Mm. Yeah. Rather it's than another administrative task to do before you can start selling. Exactly. And and because of that, it's like, oh, last we've got to do a TMD rather than, 
okay, we're developing a new product. Let's do the TMD first, in, and it's part of the product development process. So instead of just doing an analysis of what the product is, the TMD itself is the analysis. Mm-hmm. So you're working out what the product is and who it's suitable for and how you market it. Well, they're the sort of basic questions that you've got to ask anyway as if you're operating a fund or a product of any kind. Yes. I find it quite extraordinary. Maybe it's because, oh, it's got a title of a TMD. Well, call it a It's a step-through process. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the title that is part of the legislation, but you can Mm. call it the product analysis document or something. Call it what you want. Well, that's right. And and, um, the marketing people must be rubbing their hands and glees because there's an opportunity for them also to identify – Markets that you aren't yeah. servicing potentially, and then design a product that suits the market, as opposed to someone has a genius idea for a product and then they try and stick the square peg in the round hole by, yeah. you know. Anyway, yeah. an opportunity <laughs> no, for segmentation. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I thought it was a very useful yeah. tool that helped you set up your compliance framework to manage this risk over the lifetime as it was designed to do. And yeah. I think that some organisations have not jumped on that opportunity. Yeah. They've been in such a rush. They've done it as an administrative task, and now they're scrambling to go. They've got to go back and look at them retroactively. Look at them, which is another lot of work. It's insane. And then, yeah. Initially, when TMDs came out, I went another. You know. What's this another thing? But I have now come onto the D- TMD cheerleader um, vanguard because I, I kind of think it actually has real opportunities in it and particularly real opportunities for compliance to embed themselves in the product design system process. Mm-hmm. And most of our members will say, oh, dear, we don't get told about a new product until it's finished. Well, this is a chance for them to actually be involved in the nascent, you know, um, development of the product rather than just waiting until, you know, here it is and it's a completed one that's got a bow on it and damn you compliance for wanting to change anything that we've done in it. So I think there's certainly mm. opportunities there for our members. and Fantastic opportunities from a strategic yeah. point of view as well to, to look at them and go, look, your product doesn't actually match your market. So it. What if it does sell, you'll be paying a shed load of compensation, yeah. and or it doesn't sell because your market looks at it and goes, no, we don't want that. We don't want a credit card. We wanted a loyalty card. Yeah, and so I think, look, in summary, if you look at both of the cases, you could say, oh, they're quite completely different, but they're not because it really comes down to the fact that you've got to look at your TMD on an ongoing basis. You've got to make certain that the information that's contained in it is is strictly reviewed and that there is a, an appropriate due diligence process that's undertaken in relation to every word in it because every word in it may in fact be scrutinised by the regulator at some stage in the future if you get it wrong. Yeah. So you need to make certain that if it says, you know, what the risk profile of it, it doesn't have, you know, tick a box <laughs> that you've forgotten to tick the box, you know. So, yes, develop um, some sort of a template for develop for these products, absolutely, for a TMD, but make certain that somebody just hasn't ticked a box in them. And mm. it's the same issue in relation to both Amex and Perpetual that they failed to do that. Okay, well, I feel like I was going to ask if you had any lessons or any advice, but that's it. 
Hey, you know, and employ employ great compliance people who are qualified. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll throw in a plug for GRCI there. And I, and I know that we always say that, but the reality is that we'd really like to hear back from members who are under pressure in relation to their TMD process, and and we can you know take that forward to discuss with both the regulator and our, our members' um, employers. Um, where there are issues that, you know, just generally indicate that there have been failures. So yep. you'd like to give us um, some information about how it's working for you. It can be on an anonymous basis. We don't mind. And we're here to support you to ensure that the TMD process doesn't completely fall apart. Great. Well, thank you so much, uh, Naomi and Carol. Um, for those listening, this podcast is recorded at the end of 2022. By the time you get to listen to it, it will be the start of 2023. So um, not sure if to say a Happy New Year in advance or this yes. is a, actually a retrospective Happy New Year by the time you listen to it. Yes, Happy New Year. <laughs> this podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute and the music was produced by Rob Neary.